You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on October 7th, 2018. A reading from the first letter of Peter. So put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today uh, we have an interesting set of readings. They're all about marriage and God's institution of marriage in the very beginning. Adam and Eve coming together God making Eve to be a helper fit for Adam so that the two of them could become one flesh and have companionship and have people to share, have another person to to share life with and to to share the labor of caring for God's creation with. And I think this is appropriate today. We're not actually going to focus on marriage, but one aspect of marriage is covenant. When two people come together in marriage, they are forming a covenant between the two of them. They're forming a a binding agreement between the two of them to live out their days together. That's why when we exchange vows uh, in a marriage service, we say, until death do us part. It's intended by God to be a lifelong relationship, a lifelong commitment that goes through the hard times and through the easy times, that goes through the financially abundant times and the, the times that are a little bit more lean that goes through the times of health as well as the times of sickness. These are all vows that we've heard before in in various wedding services. And that's the nature of a covenant. It's an agreement between two parties to be bound together in certain ways and to move forward in the things that God is calling them to. That's what a marriage is, but that's also what a church is. Because a church is a group of people who God has covenanted together. And in fact, we have a document uh, that we all uh, use and sign as we come into the church, and we call it our membership covenant. It's something that, that I'll be talking to you more about as, as the year goes on. But those of you who have gone through a membership class in the last year all know about this, this covenant. If any of you others are, are interested in it, I'll share, uh, share that with you another time. Now, church membership is different from the covenant of marriage in a number of ways, but it is a covenant nonetheless. It is a covenant nonetheless. And too often, church membership is treated today in much the same way that a consumer relates to their favorite brands. Right? So I have my favorite brand of of coffee or, or dish detergent or laundry detergent or my favorite brand of appliances or maybe even you're a, a Ford person or a Chevy person. We all have these brand loyalties uh, as consumers, but really when it comes down to it, if, if one of those brands crosses you the wrong way, you're just as quick to go try another brand another day, right? That's the way we live in a consumer culture. 
And so this is also characterized by the common perception today that the church is here to serve me, and I'll stay here as long as my needs are met. The church is here to serve me, and I'll stay here as long as my needs are met. But God has a very different understanding of church. The Bible shows us a very different understanding of church. And in this view, uh, well, in the consumer view, the church is a business, and the staff are the, the employees, the people who are there to serve the customers, and the customers are all of you. But the way the Bible sees things, if we put it into the same metaphor, the church is an organization for sure, but all of us are the staff, and we're here for the sake of those who aren't here yet. If you look around you to your left and to your right, you see there are some seats in some of these pews that don't have a butt sitting in them, right? And those seats are reserved for someone who's supposed to be here right now. And so we, as the staff of this church, our job is to be seeking out those who are lost and bringing them into the fellowship of this church, that they might occupy some of these places that are left available for them. And we never want to be so full as a church that we don't have a few empty seats waiting for some people to come. If we ever get big enough that all of these seats are filled, you can be sure we're going to have more services so that we can have a few more empty seats because there's always room for someone else to come and join us. There's always room for one more in this, in this building that's being built up together for God. We are all here to serve. And so because of that, we are all part of the staff. We're all vitally important to the functioning of this church to do the things that God is calling us to do as a people, as a body, together. And that's where that passage that I read to the the children earlier comes in. We are a spiritual building, a spiritual house. And we are living stones. Each one of us is a vitally important piece of that building as it comes together. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Doesn't that describe all of us? All of us have been rejected in one way or the other. Even the apostles, if you think about it, they weren't, they weren't the smartest people or the brightest people or the wealthiest people. They were just average, everyday people. And yet, God saw something special in them, just like he sees something special in each one of you. He looks on you with love. And he desires to be in relationship with you. And he desires you to be in relationship with his body, the church. And so it continues that we are, as living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, the the temple was the place where God himself had promised to dwell. When Solomon builds that first temple in all of its glory, they sacrifice thousands of bulls on the altar, and then, you know what happens? The glory of God comes down with a heaviness, a weight, that's so heavy that it fills the whole temple and they have to stop sacrificing animals because they just can't do it anymore. God's heaviness, God's weight, God's glory is so physically present in that space that they have to stop what they're doing. Now, some churches call themselves temples, but when they say that, they don't mean a temple like the Old Testament temple in one place in Jerusalem and one particular spot. Because as a church... The temple is not this building. This building is wonderful, and we're thankful to have it as a place to to meet and gather together. 
But this building is not the church. You are the building. Each one of you a living stone being built together for the glory of God, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And the worship of God inhabits us as a body, as the church, as this spiritual household for the glory of God. That is the church. Now imagine for a moment removing stones from a wall. Think about a building that's, that's been established and you just don't like a couple of those stones anymore, so you're just going to take them out. What happens when you take out a couple stones from a stone wall? It crashes right down. Or picture a stone arch. My kids have been studying the, the Romans, and one of the amazing pieces of Roman technology was the stone arch, because each of these stones is cut in just the right way that together the angles move up towards a keystone in the center, and all of those stones support the weight of everything on top of it. And so when you remove the support out from under it, those stones support one another. Now imagine if you take one stone out of that stone arch. The whole wall is going to crumble. It's all going to topple down. And similarly, each one of you is a vital part of this church. And it grieves us when we miss people who are no longer with us, for whatever reason. We need each and every one of you as this church. And so, with that, I think it's important to ask, what are we here for? What is the church for? Why do we have a church? Why do we come to church? Why has God made us a, a part of this staff, of this organization, the body of Christ? What's it all about? And I think the basic purpose of the church is to glorify God by making disciples and sharing the love of God with those who don't yet know him. That's why we're here. That's why this church is here. That's why we spent money establishing this property and having a place to gather. Not for the beauty of the building, but for the mission of the people. And that's what we're called to do. To glorify God by making disciples and sharing the love of God with those who don't yet know him. In our values discussion that's been going on, you all remember the, the values survey I asked you to fill out where you, you rated different things to help us understand what this church values. But one of the things that became clear to us as a committee as we were sifting through all the results of that survey is that this church values discipleship and active, lively faith. That was very clear from the survey. This church values active discipleship and active, lively faith. We're not here as bench warmers. You know what a bench warmer is on a, on a basketball team or on a, a baseball team. They're the people who don't actually play. It's just if the, if the star players get hurt, they're warming the bench so that that person has a warm place to sit when they get hurt, right? <laughs> right? Yeah? That's not what we are. None of you are bench sitters, bench warmers. All of you have an active role to play in this church, a vital function. And this church values that active discipleship, active mature faith. So what does that look like? What do we mean when we talk about a mature disciple of Jesus? Mature disciples love God and neighbor. They serve and they never stop growing. They love God and neighbor. We read that every Sunday when we, when we read the greatest commandment and the second, which is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we love God and neighbor. We share and we... Um, we serve, we each take an active part in this church, and we never stop growing. 
So when we talk about loving God and neighbor, the love of God should permeate every aspect of our lives. There's no part of our life that the love of God doesn't touch. Because we love God by obeying God. By doing the things he asks us to do. And so there's no part of your life that you can hide over here and reserve just for yourself. It all belongs to God. Every part of it. And so we need to love God with our whole lives. In the darkness and in the light. Behind closed doors and out in public. Driving in your car and standing here in church and worshiping with us on Sunday. All of it is the same to God. We need to worship God and serve him in every aspect of our life. And we need to put him first in all things. And so this certainly involves prioritizing worshiping God together on Sunday morning. That's definitely a part of what we're called to do as we glorify God together. We need each one of you here to worship with us, to glorify God together. But it means every other day as well. Because we don't take days off as Christians. You can take a day to rest, for sure, but you don't take a day off from being a Christian in the week. Every day is a day to glorify God. And so it's important that we read our Bibles, each of us privately, and that we pray and seek God's will for us each and every day. Praying for one another each and every day. And it's also important that we love our neighbor. In 1 John, uh, he puts it very poignantly. When he says, this is in chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. John's not really one to mince words. He just calls it like it is. He is a liar. For he does not love his brother. For he who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so we have a commitment to one another and to every person we meet to love our neighbor. Remember the the story of the Good Samaritan after whom our, our church is named. You see him on the banner over there. The point of that story is that our neighbor isn't just the person that lives next to us or the person who sits next to us in church. Our neighbor is every person that we meet. Because every person we meet is someone chosen and precious by God. So we need to love one another, and we need to love everyone we meet. It's an important part of loving God. How we treat others is directly related to our love for God. Each person matters to God, and he cares deeply about how we treat each and every person that we meet. And this includes the unlovable, the people nobody else wants to hang out with, the people in your family that maybe you would prefer not to to hang out with. God wants you to love even that person, the person who drives you the most nuts. God wants you to love that person. So we need to love God and neighbor, but we also need to serve. Jesus said in in Luke chapter 22, these words. This is verses 25 through 27. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigns to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. If Jesus is among us as one who serves, who should we be? 
we should be people who serve. We need to follow in his example. And so again, none of us are here just to recline at the table. We have these nice new uh, kneelers that La Iglesia has, has given to us as a gift. These aren't here so we can lie down and just sort of rest at the table. They're here so we can be refreshed by the body and blood of Christ and strengthened so that we can serve him and serve his church and serve the people who don't yet know him. We are to be here as people who serve. And there's so many ways to serve in church. We have teachers, we have food preparers, we have hospitality people, we have people who hammer nails, we have people who screw screws, we have people who pass out food, we have people who do all kinds of things. And without those things being done, this church would not operate. Each of you has a vital thing to do. And if you don't already have something that you consider to be your ministry in this church, I urge you to figure out what that might be. And that's not just picking something off of a list, because God has formed you for a purpose. He has made you uniquely. And so you have particular gifts that no one else has in just the same way. And so part of what we do as a church is we help you to figure out what those gifts are and where you can fit in to the bigger puzzle of of the mission of this church. If you ever think about a, a puzzle Each piece only fits in in one particular spot. And when they all work together, they form a beautiful picture. And each of you is formed just like a jigsaw puzzle piece for a particular purpose. That purpose might change over time, but there's always something that God has for you, always something he's calling you to do. Even if that's just sitting on your, your couch at home and praying as an intercessor, that's not a minimal ministry by any means. But sometimes when when your legs don't work or your arms don't work or whatever, that's all you can do is sit on a couch. And if you can only sit on a couch, you even then still have a ministry to do. There's something, some role each and every one of you can play in this church. And then finally, a disciple never stops growing. A disciple never stops growing. When we talk about the, the word mature, as in mature disciples of Jesus Christ, it can be a misleading word because when we think of maturity, we think someone has arrived. That they've been fully formed into the, into the thing that they're supposed to be. But that's not what maturity is at all. Part of maturity is actually realizing how much you still need to grow. That's part of maturity. And so when we talk about mature Christians, we're talking about Christians who have, who have grown in a certain way, but they are not stopping growing. Their discipleship continues to move on. As long as there is still sin in your life, there's more growing to do. And until you love God and your neighbor perfectly, there is more growing to do. You can't stop. You can't stagnate in your faith. Because if you're not growing, you're actually moving backwards. We all need to keep growing as long as we have breath. Because none of us is going to be perfected until we either go to be with the Lord or he comes to be with us. Until then, there's more work God wants to do in you. And so we need to open our hands and let him. And our neighbors in the church can help us in this growth. One of the beautiful things about the way God designed our faith The way God designed the church is that we aren't Christians by ourselves. 
In fact, you can't really be a Christian all by yourself. In some extreme circumstances, because you got stranded on a desert island and there's not a single soul around, then maybe you can be a Christian by yourself and God will, will give you grace in that moment. But otherwise, God is calling you to be a part of a church as a living stone in this spiritual house that he's building. We need one another. We need to rely on one another. And so while there are certain things that we do as Christians to grow personally, we talked about reading the Bible and praying as, as part of those daily spiritual disciplines that we need to engage in, we also need to do the same things together. That's part of why we worship together in church on Sunday, but there are other opportunities throughout the week to do that, to read the Bible together, to rub against one another, to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. And so one of the things that mature disciples do is they seek out groups of Christians to study the Bible together with and to pray together with. And we have a number of those groups in this church. We have Sunday school classes on Sunday mornings. We have Bible studies on Wednesday and on Thursday. We have a men's breakfast, which we just had yesterday. That's once a month. Any of those are opportunities for you to grow in your faith. So take advantage of those and never stop growing. Never stop growing. And there's one more thing that mature disciples do, and that's share their faith with others. Mature disciples share their faith with others. Think about a mature plant. What does it do? It bears fruit, which has seeds in it, and those seeds make other plants. Or a mature animal. What does a mature animal do? It finds another mature animal of the opposite sex, and it makes babies. That's what mature animals do. Animals, plants, even humans, all mature living organisms reproduce. It's part of the way God put his plan into operation. And so mature Christians reproduce. Mature Christians share their faith with others and multiply. Not with physical children, but with spiritual children. When you find something that changes your life, you want to share it with other people. Because you want them to experience the same good things that you've come to experience. And so when you see a good movie, you tell your friends about it and you want them to go see the same good movie. Or when you, when you try out a new restaurant and it's great, you, you tell your friends about it because you want them to try out that restaurant too and, and share that good experience with you. Well, what better experience do we have than a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? It is the most important thing you could possibly share. And for one reason or another, sometimes we get, uh, we get nervous about that or we get squeamish about sharing our faith with others. But there's no reason to share this most precious gift, no reason not to share this most precious gift with those around us because there's nothing more important that you could share. In our passage from Hebrews today, we hear these words from the author. Jesus came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And then a little further on. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sin of his people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus not only takes away our sins that separate us from God, he also helps us to face every temptation that we face. He takes us who were once in bondage as slaves, 
and he frees us to be the people that God created us to be. There is no better thing than that. To taste freedom after bondage. To taste purity after slavery to sin. There's no better thing that we could share. There's no more important thing that we could share. And so as mature Christians, we need to share our faith. How has your relationship with Jesus changed your life? What transformation have you experienced because you know Jesus? Think about those things. Treasure those things. And then think about which of your friends, which of your family members, which of your co-workers need to know about what God has done in your life. Which people you know for whom your story matches their story in certain ways that would inspire them to hear about Jesus. And you're not in this by yourself. When you feel someone that God is putting on your heart, you don't have to feel burdened to just go out and, and share whatever words. That's part of what we get nervous about when we evangelize. We say, oh, I, I just don't know what I would say, or I, I don't know what words I would share. And so you begin always with prayer. Sometimes you won't have time to pray. Sometimes God will just put someone in your path, and it'll be obvious exactly what you need to say. But otherwise, begin with prayer. Pray for that person every day. As God burdens your heart with them, continue to pray for them. Continue to, to ask God to soften their hearts to his gospel. Continue to ask God to give you the right words to say when the time comes. Continue to ask God to give you opportunities to share your faith with that person. And then you can trust that when that opportunity comes, God will give you exactly the right words to share. That you don't need to be concerned about it. Because it's God's ministry. You yourself don't save anybody. Only God can save people. And God uses us as vessels, as tools, as envelopes to deliver the message of his salvation to others. We can spend thousands of dollars advertising and throwing outreach events as a church. But the single most significant way that anybody comes to know Jesus is through one Christian inviting a non-Christian to know the Lord. That's God's plan for salvation. You are God's plan for salvation. You are the A team. There is no B team. God is calling all of us together to do this work of bringing people into his kingdom. You are all ambassadors for Christ. So that's what this church is here for. Our church is here to make disciples and to share our faith with those who don't yet know Jesus so that they can come and be a part of this kingdom too. All of us need to commit to the things that God is calling us to as a church. And so when we think about what those commitments are, what are we covenanting to as a church? What we're covenanting to is, first of all, to our relationships with one another and with Jesus Christ. We're living stones built together, built on the foundation of Jesus himself. We're committed to growing ourselves, to never stop in our discipleship, always growing a little bit more each and every day, not in our own strength, but in God's strength for us. We're committed to helping our brothers and sisters grow as iron sharpens iron. And we're committed to helping our church grow, offering our gifts, our talents, our resources in the, servant, in the service of his kingdom, all so that many more may come to share in this fellowship with us and share in that great salvation 
that great freedom from slavery and bondage. All of us are being built together as living stones into a spiritual house for God to make spiritual sacrifices and to welcome others into his kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for each person here today and for the things that you're doing in each of our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would help each of us to know your tailored discipleship plan for our lives, to see the places where you are calling each of us to grow. We pray, Lord, that you would bind us to one another, that you'd help us to lock arms and be mortared together as spiritual stones in this living house. We pray for this church that you would help us to thrive in our mission together as we make disciples and share our faith with people who don't yet know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.